0: Hi everyone, I've had the pleasure of interviewing people who have, through pain, struggle and hardship, managed to successfully merge their passions and interests with their work, which I wholeheartedly believe has contributed to their success. My next guest is a fellow podcaster who has achieved so much and takes pride in the work he's doing to help others transform their lives. Iper, so I've been following this guy for a while now with massive admiration and love. From Charlie Mullins, to Lord Aleem, to Lamorne Morris, to Terry Stone, to Tim Burton, the list of phenomenal guests that this guy has interviewed and managed to extract some of the most valuable practical lessons from Just Keeps On Growing. Plus, he comes across as genuine and real and true to his brand a vehicle through which he aims to inspire people to be happy, never content. Stephen Sully is the man, the myth, the legend behind the Stephen Sully study podcast with tens of thousands of followers on on his various social media platforms that that delivers content that always inspires me to be the best I can be. The podcast allows you to listen to the heart-wrenching stories and experiences of exceptionally successful people to help and motivate you. Stephen, you interviewed Charlie Mullins, during which you both discussed the need to have someone who you look up to and inspire and, and inspires you. And I've got to say, Stephen, you are my inspiration, and I'm so lucky to have you on this podcast, man. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, man. Thank you. And um, thank you for the introduction and, and uh, inviting me on. it's my pleasure uh first thing is first man i ask all my guests this man um what does your dream five car garage look like man
1: uh right so an Aventador, svj um G Wagon, AMG, probably uh, have a Brabus version of that. Um, a Zonda, a Z- uh, oh, Garni Zonda, so yeah, like a yeah, yeah. maybe F. There's also a car that I don't know if they ever put properly into production. And in actual fact, I spoke to me about this. Uh, it's a Lamborghini Esto Elemento, Sesto Elemento. Um, okay. It's basically got the chassis of a Gallardo, but it's very, very lightweight. I mean, even the seats are sort of welded into the, uh, uh, the chassis. I think it had the top uh, performance around Top Gear at one stage. Anyway, incredible car. So I've got two left there. Um, a Bentley, uh, I would say, yeah, just like a super sports convertible, something com- comfortable. And then, what else? Um, I don't really know. Like, probably probably just say like a Pulse Turbo cap. Yeah, yeah. Pulse Turbo S. It's, you know, they're, they're great cars. They're not like, you know. No, I'll tell you what. I'll get rid of that. I have a uh, G, uh, Ferrari
0: uh, Lusso V12. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wicked, man. That's wicked. Um, I guess uh, I want to kind of just take everyone back. Uh, first of all, to kind of your your story, man. Like, where does it all start? How did the podcast start? Just kind of just 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 talk us through the kind of early early days of your kind of career, man. If you don't mind. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll
1: give you. Um a bit of a uh, try and condense his stories as quickly as I can down. So there's there's two elements. My main bread bread and butter, what I do day to day, is I'm the founder of a brand called Woodbury House, which we'll probably get onto this conversation. Yeah. And obviously the Stephen Sully study, even though they are two separate brands, they are almost one of the same thing at the same time because I feel that, the podcast helps me with my clients. It helps me open other doors in the art world. And, yeah, like I always say the same thing to people. If someone comes to our, our organisation um, as a uh, potential employee, I don't really give a shit about your CV. Like, I don't. I think I think a lot of the time as well, probably a lot of it is made up uh, or it's certainly exaggerated, you know. Um, and. Me being dyslexic, anyway, I'm just, I just can't be bothered to read through some of the CV because yeah, it, yeah. it bores the hell out of me. But what you can do, what a lot of people do today, is just jump online, see you, you know, see your, your social media platform, see, see, seeing what you've contributed, what you've done. And I think that's the modern day CV. So I've got over 200 videos out there. People get to know me without meeting me. And so therefore, they, they build up a trust, they build up some kind of rapport. They get to have a view on me, whether they like me or not, uh before they actually meet me, which I think is actually quite good so anyway uh long story short um when I was coming out of school, I was terrible at school I was a complete flop i'm thirty six years of age, and back then there was no such thing as podcasts uh, I always knew I wanted to be a success, and my dad you know used to uh, drill into me that making money was an important thing and I remember like looking at Ferraris and stuff in garages and going over to the Ferraris and stuff with my dad. And I always wanted to have a Ferrari and, but I was terrible at school when I was getting this misinformation from teachers that if you don't get good grades, if you don't excel at school, you're going to amount to nothing. And I literally had that a few times. Um, and I didn't necessarily believe that. I, I felt there was something else I could do, but you know, um, it was quite hard to see how, how life was going to unfold because I knew I wasn't going to go sixth form. I knew I wasn't going to go to university, but I also didn't know that if I didn't get these conventional jobs as doctors, pilots, that kind of stuff, I was thinking, how, how can you make the money? So anyway, um, I believe in life. If you don't have your own plan, you fall by default into somebody else's plan. And I fell by default into somebody else's plan. That plan was my mum and dad's. So I I used to go out with a girl, probably uh, probably my first serious relationship, and uh, and I used to look at her dad like he had everything. He had quite a nice house. I mean by today's standards, okay. Like the tax house was nice. Um, you know he had Two kids. He had a nice BM. He changed his car all the time. He had a, quite a nice few holidays. And what he'd done for work, he was an undercover police officer. And I watched him one day on TV. He busted the criminals who tried to kidnap Victoria Beckham and, and the Beckham kids at the time. And what their plan was to do is hold them for ransom and ask David Beckham for two, three, four, five million pounds. That was their plan. And I watched him do a, a job where they set up the criminals and they busted them, they jumped out of this van and busted the criminals. And he was wow. the leading officer to get interviewed by the uh by the press. And I'm like, This man is like a fucking modern day superhero. I mean yeah. he's fit. Yeah. He's strong, he's confident, he's on TV. I think, you know, guessing he was on probably about 70, 80 grand a year, which back then for me was like a lot, yeah, was like millions. Like in my mind, that's like so much money. And um, he could, I remember he used to take me out in his BM because he was trained by the police, he really knew how to drive, drive the car. So I just said to him, look, I, I cause I'm a b i am ai box, right? So I, I was always into my boxing, always into sport. I played for I was Kent Champion at squash. I represented England once by going to um where did we go? We went to Holland to play a tournament. I was very, very good at like sports, rugby, football, etc., but terrible in the classroom. So I thought, well, if I could follow his footsteps, then I could get the same result. Yeah. So I said to him, Keith, like, how did you get to where you got to? And he said, Well, I didn't go into the police first. I was a Marine and I was a Marine for a certain amount of time. Then I kind of jumped ahead into the police and I went into this position of being undercover. He was basically like SES SWAT type person. Oh, like, wow. Okay. Like machine gun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, He used to tell me about going into drug, drug dens and busting the, the crack dealers and stuff like that. And it was just, it was just like, Oh my God, like this, this is incredible. So Long story short, I applied for the Marines. And as I was going through that that thing, my mum broke down and she was like, no, you're going to get killed. You know, you're going to go off the war and, and be murdered and all this kind of stuff. My dad kind of uh, backed my mum up on that and said, look, why don't you um, get a trade? You'll never be out of work. And they said these famous lines to me that rings in my, my mind all the time. And they said you'll never be skin. Now, my plan is, ne- <laughs> I don't believe it, you know, just, you know, the whole job thing, just over broke, like, just having enough money, and you never skin. Uh, I've never, I've never wanted, to, I wanted to have abundance, you know, I wanted yeah. to have more yeah. money than sense. I wanted to have anything I wanted in my life. Yeah. So that whole thing of, you know, you'll never be skin. Uh, it's like almost a limiting kind of belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I got sold. And I fell into the, their kind of, their plan. So my mum used to play at a uh, golf course called Chromehurst, a private golf course in um, in Purley. And there was a guy down there who owned a plumbing firm called Priory Prior Mechanical Services, I think in Pope Road in Croydon, Purley. So she said, look, I'll get you a, a job interview and if you can pass it, you'll, you'll get a job there. So anyway, I went, didn't really want to do it. But me just being me, I passed the interview, um, just by talking and yeah. um I got I got the job. So I become I became a um an apprentice and from the moment I started it, from the moment I left it, I fucking hated it. A, How old were you? Uh can I swear on this podcast as well? It's yeah, 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 you're fine, yeah, yeah. I was uh so 17, 16, 17 okay. coming out of school. And um, a few days a week I had to go to uh, Croydon to do like uh, the college side of being an apprentice, and then the other time I was on site. The only thing that really kept me in there, there was two things. Thankfully, primary and mechanical services, they were they were a good firm, and they were getting some really, really good jobs. And I was in like the former prime minister's house of uh, France, uh, Jurac I think it was.
0: No. I was
1: like working in his house in like um, – uh, Kensington and then I done the Prince of Rain's House in uh, Knightsbridge. Right. I mean, I was I was in these massive houses, <laughs> and at least that I was looking at these great places and thinking, "Wow, this is incredible." And the guy I was working uh, for in that firm as, as his apprentice, a guy called Nick Lee, really nice guy. But uh, over time, uh, like that, th- those are the two things that kind of kept me slightly motivated, even though I hated it and. Anyway, one day he turned around to me, Nick, said, I've got some news for you. I went, right. He said, I'm leaving. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm leaving. I'm pursuing my own. I'm going to start up my own plumbing firm. So you're going to be underneath somebody else, guy called Eddie. Now, I knew Eddie. Eddie was a lot older. So Nick was relatively like late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie now was like 50, 60. Like, oh, I don't want to be disrespectful, but a lot of people in that plumbing building game, like when they get a bit older, uh, if they're not working for themselves, a, a lot of them I've, I came across on, on the building site become a bit miserable and kind of come a bit mon- mundane. And this guy was, was that he was like, probably, probably really nice outside of that environment. Like I know yeah. I'm very good at what he did. I can't knock him for that, but fucking hell miserable. like, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know there was no banter with him it was just like you're there to work, work. Yeah. so anyway I'm getting to the really important part now I'll give you a bit of a long winded story but Nick took me to this building site right in Park Lane now you probably know Park Lane very well being a petrol head because Absolutely. a lot of the nice cars drive down there but you also got Bob Forsyne you had yeah. the old uh, McLaren F, uh, uh, F1 garage uh, yeah yeah BMW down there, Porsche, etc. And I used to go up and down that road looking at the cars. Obviously, you've got the Dorchester. That's where all the big cars pull up, etc. And anyway, behind Bob Forsyne, Forsyne I think it's called, <coughs> is a um, is a road, road, very fancy road. And I went into this building site to do first fix, which is laying the pipes, and then also do the second fix, which is the bathrooms, the kitchens, etc. And when you go to do first fix, the whole building stripped out. It's fucking freezing. Yeah? And it's it's horrible, it's dirty. And he he said to me, He said, Just think, Steve, you're gonna have at least two to maybe three of your summer holidays whilst you're here. Meaning that you're gonna be here for at least three years. And when I heard those words, it was almost like a prison sentence. Like it was like you're 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 gonna be here for this amount of time. And it was horrible. And anyway, um, I was doing really shitty jobs and uh Nick had left. And I wasn't really like gelling with uh Eddie. You know, I I wasn't falling out with him, but I just it just wasn't wasn't me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this, this one thing happened which changed everything for me. This guy is so I'm I'm on the first floor. There's like some floorboards down, some not. And I'm I'm up there and I've looked outside. This Aston Martin DB7's pulled up, and it was like It was either dark blue or dark green, like James Bond desk. And the guy who got out of it was like James Bond. He was (laughs) really, you know, tall guy, six foot one, six foot two, uh, you know, good looking guy, chisel jaw, um, long black coat on, you know, smart. Walked in and I watched him through the floorboards. I stopped doing what I was doing. I was doing like first fix. For, um, I think it must have been for either the radiators. I think it was for the radiators on the on the first floor. Watching, he met the foreman, he walked around the building site, and then he walked out, he spoke to a few people, walked out, jumped back, back into his car, and drove off. So I'm a bit pissed off now. So I've gone right downstairs and I've spoke to the foreman and said, Hey, can I ask you something? Bearing in mind, this foreman's on our case all the time about where you hard hat, where you. Yeah, I said, yeah. I've got this hard hat on. I've got these goggles on. I've got steel toe cap boots. I'm freezing. I've got this high vis on. I've got gloves on. How come this guy could just walk in here without any of that, and um, you know, and, and 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 go off? So anyway, he, said, he turned around to me. He said, "Because he owns, he owns a building site." I said, "Okay, how old is he?" He said, "Oh, he's in his 30s. I was like, "Right." And anyway, I walked off. And I was like, fuck like this guy's like super young, got this Aston Martin. So anyway, I went down to the um, basement and uh I remember there was like a lot of foreign labourers who were like sweeping up and what you meant to do when you when you sweep up at the building, like you meant to put water down because all the dust goes everywhere. Yeah. Because they couldn't understand me, I couldn't understand them. I was trying to trying to tell them to do that, and it was almost like this puff of smoke coming towards me <laughs> When you come out, when you come out of there, your nose is just filled with black and it's, yeah, it's just yeah, disgusting. Yeah. I called my dad and I went, "Dad, let me ask you a question." He went, "Yeah." He said, "Could I buy an Aston Martin or a Ferrari, doing what I'm doing now?" And he said, um, "He tried to spin me, you know, like yeah, yeah, houses, yeah. like going around the houses." I went, "Dad, just be honest with me. You know, could I do it?" And he said, "Probably not." I said, well, why the, the fuck am I doing it? And I literally broke down and cried. And I end up speaking to the owner and said, this is not for me, I'm leaving. So anyway, my mindset was, if I'm dirty on a building site, you can't be successful. Now that's far from the truth now. I know you can, but my mindset at the time was you can't, okay? Because I was looking at people on the train and thinking, well, these people with suits on, they're not dirty. They look smart. They look like they're a success. Surely if I end up wearing a suit, in a role uptown, I'm going to become a success. That was a very naive view, but that was my, my mindset at the time. So I ended up getting a job as a barrister's clerk at oh, 22 buildings in Lincoln's Inn uh, in Chambers. And I went from a building site being dirty, wearing a suit, and I went from a building site where everyone called each other every name under the sun. I literally yeah. were I was, you know, there was no. There was nothing you could say to a builder that they hadn't heard before. They were yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. rough and ready, some of these people, <laughs> especially the labourers and the scaffolders. I mean, they yeah. they were just calling each other swear yeah. names and derogatory names and, you know, racism, prejudice. I heard it all there, you know, and yeah, it was yeah, kind yeah. of like right, it was just everyone was just saying, if you had something wrong with you, they would pick up on it and they would slaughter you. Yeah, and I went yeah. from that to a chambers where you, you, everyone that you spoke to, you had to call, call sir. And I couldn't I couldn't get up, get on with that. Um, so I was, because I called one of the barristers by their first name. And then as they, they left, they turned around to me as in all the, the clerks and said, you can't call him that. I said, well, why? So you've got to call him. I said, that's his name. And he said, no, you've got to call him sir or, or madam. So like, what? It's like, no, like, just, that didn't register for me. Like, yeah. And um, they, what also pissed me off about that environment, I couldn't, they couldn't call me Stephen because there was another Stephen there. So they said, <laughs> what's your middle name? And I said, Joseph. And they said, do you want to be called Joe or Joseph? And I said, well, not really either. I want to be called Stephen. And they said, well, yeah. That's yeah. what happened. You're going to be called Joe or Joseph. And I said, well, I guess, I guess Joe. So I was in an environment where I had to call everyone sir, which that 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 felt made me feel like they were above me, and I wasn't being called by my first name. So the best and worst thing happened to me in 2005. I was on my motorbike going to Brands Hatch, and I got knocked off my motorbike, and I ended up splitting my kidney open Jeez, and laying in the hospital. And Really why I say it was the best and worst time for me, it was the worst because I split my kidney open. At first I thought they I broke my back. Um, the best thing about it was I had no choice but to lay and think about what I wanted to do. Now bearing in mind, I'm 19 years of age, okay, so I'm not old, but I'm I'm I've already realized at this point, if I don't change and pivot now, I'm gonna be stuck in this this career. And one thing I learned about a lot of the builders. Even this guy called John, who was very, very funny, one of my first ever days starting there, he said to me, why the hell do you want to do this? Get out while you still can. And I had that a lot with a lot of the builders. And he was a, I would, I would say he was a success. He was probably earning about 40, 50 grand a year. And he was a sparky, but he was working for this plumbing firm. He was doing all the electrical work. And also, when I was in the bachelor's clerk, even speaking to some of the clerks there, they weren't happy. They were saying stuff like, Yeah, I don't really like doing this, but you know, I've got a mortgage to pay. That's that's the language that people have when they yeah. fall into the trap. I've yeah. got kids, I've got overheads, I've got mortgages, and I fully yeah. appreciate that and I, I know it's not easy, but that's the language of someone that sounds like they're defeated. It's just a fact. True. And, and I was, look, I was looking at these people thinking, fucking hell, if I don't pull my finger out now, whilst I haven't got a missus, whilst I haven't got kids, whilst I haven't got all this stuff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing this for, forever. So anyway, a friend of mine came and saw me, and he was a salesperson, and he was literally making 10, 20,000 pounds a month. And he went to school with me. I was like, mate, like, incredible stuff. And he said, look, I can get you a job, or I can get you an interview. If you come to this interview... Um, you know, I think you'll be really good at it. And I was like, oh, ah, no, the sales person, don't, don't know if that's for me. He said, listen, I think you've got the personality for it. I think you could do it. Anyway, I got better. I ended up going to a place in Croydon. And as I went into the the, the car park, I saw Pulse Paul, Paul, Turbo S, Pulse Turbo Ferrari 360. The worst cars in there were Porsche Boxers and Audi TTs at the time. I <laughs> was the me, worst. <laughs> yeah. I could have owned any of those cars as, as a youngster. I had a Citroen Saxo VTR. <laughs> um, and uh, I was like, if I can get one of these cars, I've, I've made it. And as I walked into the sales environment, it was electric. It was like banks of people on the phone. I was like, this is absolutely incredible. So anyway, I started there. I was there for about eight months. I got sacked. I then went to another sales company. I became the very, very best in that sales company. Then I went off and tried to do my own thing. That that failed. And then anyway, in 2014, I um, founded a brand because I was approached by a very large art dealer who's representing an artist called Richard Hamilton. I founded a brand called Woodbury House. Um, We are now the uh, biggest dealers, I would say, in the world of Richard Hamilton. Uh, We've got over 500 pieces under management. We have a lot of happy collectors, investors, and fanatics. We're now about to take Banksy former gallery space in Sackville Street, um, which is going to become our new premises. We've got a private studio at the moment in Soho. Uh, We've done shows all around the world, uh, Mexico City, Dubai. We've done a show at the world-famous Saatchi Gallery. We've done more content than anybody else for Hamilton. We've done our own documentary that comes out soon. We have published our own book. And about four years ago in September, I was approached by Rob Moore, who's got the disruptive entrepreneur, which is now called Disruptors. Yeah. I was at one of his property seminars because I've got a property company as well. And uh, he said, look, I think you'll be good at podcasting. And again, I, was, I doubted it. And then he said, look, come on one of my courses I think you'll be good. And um, he kind of mentored me at the, at the start of it all, and he still kind of does today. I speak to him regularly. He's been on my podcast. I've been on his. And, yeah, I just started doing the, the whole podcast thing, and um, it's overlapped with Woodbury House because I've interviewed a lot of people affiliated to, to the street art community and also to Richard Hamilton. Um, and I believe it's helped with sales because when, they, when people meet me, I, I – I, I regularly now get, oh, what's all your podcasts? Yeah, straight away, yeah. it's the icebreaker, you know. There's a connection. Um, I don't yeah. know, so kind of sometimes awkward, you know, getting to know the person. They they already feel like they know me, which is yeah, great. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a great journey. So very long explanation, but I wanted to give you kind of the background to. No, that's
0: that's. Whilst I've had quite a few guests on the podcast, there are certain things that you can kind of pull out that are quite common across all the guests, and you might know this as well, you know, across all your podcast guests, that there's always two or three things in common. And just like with you, Matt, it's a career that's just filled with massive highs, massive lows, and uh, just constantly picking yourself up from what can seem like at the time as massive amounts of failure and hardship. And what is quite clear, though, from the start, Stephen, is that desire to be successful like that desire to want to be something, right, to have the car, to have – where does that come from? Because it seems to have started from quite an early age. You know what? I have a
1: conversation with a lot of successful people, whether they're on my podcast, whether they're business people that I know, whether it's just friends. And is it a nurture thing or is it a nature thing? I do think naturally I've always wanted more out of life. I, I've always been a person uh that I don't like when someone says no, I'm not I'm I've always thought like, well, well no, it can't it can't be a no, there must be another way around it. That that's kind of my thing. And I've always been an optimist. I've always believed like even if everything's stacked against me, I feel like I will get through it. Like I'm 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 so stupid to believe that I could jump out of off a building and somehow survive. Like I believe that, I believe I could be in a plane crash and I'll be the only person that survives. I, I I don't know why. I still believe that today. I, I but I know that's probably probably not right. It's probably delusional. But that delusional thing, it can hinder you sometimes. Don't get me wrong. Don't think you know. Sometimes when you're delusional, you can do stupid business things because you're delusional about the reality of it. But also that
0: delusion allows you to become successful in the You've same way. You've got to be a bit delusional. It's like, yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, um, I'm not sure if you've read the book, uh, the biography of um, of um, uh, the um, Apple founder, uh, not Steve Wozniak, but um, Steve Jobs. And it's like, he had this like crazy ass, like mind, I can't know what, what it's called now, but it was like, he would start talking about things that are so like delusional that he would start to believe it himself. But it was it was that that then led to the massive amount of success that he then saw because it was like you kind of have to have a little bit of delusion because if you're just going through logic, right, then you're not pushing yourself. And in actuality, you kind of have to be a dreamer. Like I've 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 had the awful side of just being a dreamer and not executing. And then I've also been someone who's like done the traditional kind of logical stuff. And you've got to try and find the balance between wake up in the morning and saying, I'm going to be a millionaire by this age or whatever, or achieve this much my success and just keep saying that. But then you just dream and you've got to actually execute. Right. And, and you've got to kind of be able to do that towards something which might seem quite delusional, but is actually real <laughs> at some point in the future. So uh, there's, 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 you can't knock it, man. You've got to be a bit a, a bit delusional, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you've got to think outside the normal uh, parameters and think outside the box. That term is always used. But visualise. It's so important to visualise. Um, visualise where you want to be, what you want to do, what you want to have, the lifestyle, et cetera. And going back to it, thankfully, I think it was more so my dad saying to me all the time, you know um money's really really important really really important i've got two sons now one of uh, the youngest is going to be one next month so you know i'm you know he's still very much a baby and uh he's he doesn't really understand a lot of things at the moment but my other son who's going to be 4 in november i'm constantly saying to him you know uh the belief system of you can achieve anything you want, you can be anything you want, etc. And when he goes to bed at night, um, I always say to him, dream of success, and he repeats it back to me, dream of success, dream of success. A now, idea. again, I'm not knocking my my, my wife's parents. Um, you know, Mel, which is the uh, father, my father-in-law, he was working for a print firm, he got laid off uh, redundant, etc. And then he was doing bits and pieces like here and there and Gardening, etc. And again, listen. If 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 people are happy doing that and they're getting fulfillment and they're getting challenged and stimulated and they're making the kind of money you want to make, hats off to you. Fantastic. She was working as in the mum Carol in in Santander. Again, if you're working for a bank like that, fantastic. If you enjoy it, that that is yeah. great. But when I say it in front of the mum, dream of success. She's like, no, 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 like. Be dream of uh, dream of happiness, or you know, she then says, you know, you could be a plumber or something like that, Tim. And I was like, no, like, what don't you understand? Dream of success. My interpretation of success is being happy.
0: Exactly.
1: It's not. It's not. You got happiness or you got success, and you got to make a choice which one you want to have. They're both. You can have them both. Like I've heard people so many times saying. Would you prefer to be rich or happy? I mean, what a ridiculous, what a That's ridiculous. Too... ridiculous. <laughs> just, they can can't have both. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so, so it's it's a lot of the older generation, I'm not saying all, but certainly people that I've experienced in my life, they have this limited belief that, you know, if you pursue being rich or wealthy, that you're going to sacrifice all the happiness and everything else in your life. Yeah. That's far from it um you know and and they they have this belief of yeah cuz you're not this background or you're not this age or you're not this gender or you're not this race or whatever it may be that is the reason why you can't do xyz and that's why you can't become a success which is which is
0: bollocks total bollocks and it's it's even more bollocks like right now like when i think about how easy it is to get your brand out there to get your name out there to put yourself out there, to put your expertise out there, this this world that we now live in, it's a much more democratised kind of society whereby, you know, um, you can actually build a business from scratch, right? Online, social media is basically free. Obviously, for those that are starting out, it's free. You can obviously put money behind your ads or whatever else. But the point is that, it's a much more easier to kind of go to market with your idea or at least fulfill something or delve into your passion. If you've got a passion for knitting, right? Fantastic, man. Like you can create a YouTube channel on knitting today, right? It's so easy to do. Whereas I don't, you know, maybe like 20, 30 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, it wasn't, it wasn't as easy, still easy, but it wasn't as easy. But I just feel like right now you can delve into your passion do something you love doing every single day and make money out of it, if not make loads of money out of it and have the happiness and the success both together, you know, it's such a good point. Um, I want to I want to talk about schooling and education for a second because I've got a very critical view of education. Um, and when I think about your story and how to some degree, like, and, and you're absolutely right, School teaches us that if you don't get A's or B's or C's in maths, English, science, then you're going to be a failure, right? It's a really horrible, frustrating message that we are giving out to kids. And I want to get your views on like on education. And I suppose like you haven't gone through what you've gone through and your dyslexia as well. Like what's your thoughts on the system? And and, and and where do you see there being a need for improvement? Uh look, I think I think the good thing
1: about school, it does give you some foundations, not just from what you've learned in a maths classroom, science, English, etc. But I mean like just being around people, you know, in a classroom with other people and I think that's important. Um it gives you a bit of routine and it gets your brain trained to remember certain things. Um and then you get tested and you have to pass those tests. So I think though fundamentals are great and you know like i hear some people saying oh that person went to university they got a, a first or two one in i don't know geography but they don't even use it they're they're they're, an, they, they're 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 a banker or they're uh an accountant or something they don't have any it's a bit of waste of time and money well i disagree i think i think University probably not just all about your degree, it's probably about the person you become on that journey yeah. over, over three or four years, the independence, the people that you meet, etc. Now, obviously, you know, if, if you come out the other side of it, you're broke, you don't have the degree, or um, I don't know, you, you're not using what you've developed as a person for like later on in life, then that probably is a waste if you've like kind of fucked around so. I think all the things are are good, but, you know, going back to the teacher, right, if there's a teacher teaching me maths, I'm listening to that person because maths is what we're being taught, and this guy, this female, this teacher, is the absolute bee's knees at telling me that. But that is far as it goes. If you're then going to, that same person going to tell me about outside of the maths classroom, outside of school, About becoming a success where no disrespect. But you know, if we're talking about financial success or assets or you know, raising money or building companies, you're on 30, 40, 50 grand a year, but I want to make 30, 40, 50 grand a day, your 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 view, your view should have you shouldn't be sharing your view on that subject with me. With you know, because you're not in a position of power. You're not in a position of validation or credibility in that side of stuff, so don't tell me about that. It's like it's like very similar to sports, right? I'm a boxer, and I've I've had 16 fights. I will have a few more fights before I hang them up. I'm 36, so I've got to pull my finger out because I'm getting a bit old now. And I love boxing. I love sport in general, and I love keeping fit. But there are, I'm I'm going to just uh, like a stereotypical, this is a made up person, but you might have someone fat, overweight, eat junk food, doesn't train, never put a pair of boxing gloves on in their life. They've never had a fight. They never set through the ropes. They never even sparred. They never even hit pads. But yet, these are the so called experts about the boxers and, oh, AJ, yeah, he should have done better against UC. And I'm like, you're yeah. not in a position at all. To give your view, you might have an opinion, but your your opinion is literally diluted down to almost nothing because, look <laughs> yeah. at it, you, you know. And it, and it, that comparison is a bit like the teacher's scenario, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but if they if they turn around and say you can be anything you want to be, and you can use part of the maths to develop this, you know, this company, fantastic. I think exactly, yeah. supporting someone great, but if you're trying to limit their beliefs because you're saying if you don't do well in maths you're never going to become a company owner, that, that's wrong. Um, and the other thing is, I so i I've got one A, uh, four Cs, I think it was, two Ds, E and an F. I've got F for French, I've got E for RE, and two Ds, I think it was science, and DT, I think it was. Anyway, have I ever used RE or uh, RS? Religious studies or religious education in in my working life. Whether I was a plumber, whether I was a barrister's clerk, whether I was running a sales company, whether at Woodbury House podcast, no, I don't see any <laughs> that value to it whatsoever. Could French be a little bit valuable to me? Probably. Like in certain, like later in my life, like now, I would love to learn know French. But is it critical to my success? As an entrepreneur, or, or or working in a company, no, it's not. Unless I'm going to go work in France. Yeah, yeah. Et some of the science, some of the geography. I'm going to be honest. Fucking waste of time. Waste yeah, of time. Yeah. Why don't you tell? Why don't you teach me more about the art of communication, sales, building up your confidence, doing presentations, researching a particular subject, and doing a presentation on it. That. Surely that's a bit more vital. Taxes. How about pre- preparation when you leave, live on your own? What about I know you know pay, paying your water bill or paying your gas bill? Tell me about that. Tell me about VAT. You know I know that comes later on in life, but are we? I, I I I don't know. Maybe maybe I've got a bit of a dim view on it, and maybe I should be looking at it another way. But I can tell you right now, thirty six years of age, I've
0: I've never had to pull out something from. Geography or RA ever. No, you're right. I am in the same same view as you, man. I just feel like I think the thing that that's 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 massively missing in my view from schooling is um something about mindset, man. Like what it takes to become tough and strong Ooh. and mentally resilient, right? I feel like, you know, um like there's I mean you you've probably come across this, right? Parents who like you know, like if you've got kids who've gone, for, who've gone for like a swimming competition, right? And your kid comes fourth, right? And you've got the dad saying, ah, oh, look, don't worry, man. Like those three kids that came ahead of you, they were just like, you know, they were just like maybe like having a good day and they were just like, you know, having a, having a, having, a, they, they were just lucky, right? But you are, you're doing amazing. Like, I feel like that just makes the this, this situation worse because then you are brought up to believe that, actually, you know what? It isn't my fault. But sometimes, and it it, it sounds tough. And I've, I mean, I, I had my daughter, what, like six months ago, right? And I've come to a place in my life where I'm like, I'm not going to be like a mean dad. But there is an element of like, you've got to tell them that, you know, if you don't get better, you're not gonna you're not gonna be better <laughs> like yeah you know i mean a bit of like hard reality sometimes needs to be kind of taught and i think sometimes we kind of like overly cushion those blows because we're too scared to tell people or tell children that maybe you're just not good enough and maybe you need to kind of like you know start changing the way you do things to be better do you see what i mean look listen definitely
1: um my my son just had his first sports day uh, a little while ago. And when I found out they were giving medals out to everybody that participated, I was like, oh,
0: I hate those.
1: That's <laughs> a terrible life lesson. So you're, you're going to reward people for just taking part. That doesn't make any sense. Like um, the only people that get, get rewarded are people that come first. Like if you're going to try and tell everyone, oh, you're still going to get a prize for just taking part. <laughs> What Look, kind of lesson
0: are, are you instilling in people? What, yeah, exactly.
1: What they're exactly. doing, what they're doing, they're thinking about the here and now, and they're they're thinking about someone's emotions today. The problem is they're not taking consideration their emotions later on in life, because when that kid has just been used to getting what they want or a prize because they were just participating and they it lost, and then they got a medal but then they go and try to pursue something, then they lose, and they and then they they, they expect subconsciously, well, I'm, I'm still exactly. going to be given X, Y, Z because I've still lost, and that's what's always happened. Yeah. You're setting them up to, for failure. 100%. It, it needs to be, right. Did you give it your all? Yes, you gave it your all. So congratulations, you gave it your all. You pushed yourself. But in this scenario, your all wasn't good enough. So how can we make you better? This is what we're going to do. So next time, you're more prepared and you're more likely to win and if you don't we'll keep on working it we'll keep on working it until you do win we're never going to give up we're going to persevere but today you didn't win
0: that's it and that's it and I think um I, I, was, I was watching your podcast with um with uh, Charlie Mullins and um obviously um, he's a he's a um, he, he used to box I believe and uh yeah. I remember one of the things that you said and it really kind of hit me in the face like bloody hell, like metaphorically and I guess you know, not not physically, but I was like thinking about it a like, lot. It was like, Yeah, I think you said that when you're knocked down, right, you can either if you if you just give up, right, you'll have lost, right? But if you get back up again, you might win, you might lose, right? But you've got some probability of success. Whereas if you if, if you just stay down, you're guaranteed to lose. And I think I think that really could, it, it struck me because it it just felt like quite a it just felt like that boxing analogy applies to so many things in life, <laughs> right? Oh, and, I, think, um, I think I remember
1: the quote. The quote goes like this: If you fight, you're 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 not guaranteed to win, but if you don't fight, you're guaranteed to, that's to lose. That's
0: the one. That's the one. And that's, that's true. The one.
1: You know, if you don't persevere something, you are guaranteed to lose. If you do
0: persevere it, you're not guaranteed to win, but you might. It's so true. It's so true. I mean, just I mean, you've mentioned boxing quite a bit, and I, I want to kind of just talk about that and and how how boxing has um, impacted um, your life and your success to date. Like, what's your kind of reflection on that when you when you think about it?
1: I would say boxing has really like I think without boxing I don't think I would have pursued maybe certain things that I've pursued. What what it does, like this like there's so many good I mean the number one, the, the physical element of it, just training, becoming strong, agile, quick. Um look, I believe in life you need to expect the best. So expect the very, very best out of your life, but you need to also prepare for the worst there are probably going to be scenarios that you, your family, your friends, like it or not, will get in a situation, whether it is your fault or not, where someone is going to try and probably antagonise you, attack you, and you might end up in a fight. Now, will boxing serve that moment? Absolutely. You know, you could you could defend yourself and, you know. So, I always wanted to learn how to fight. I also thought when I was younger... The most successful people in the world. Part of their profile is they were as hard as nails. Look at any look at any great superhero. Iron Man, loads of dough, can fight and intelligent. Uh, uh Bruce Wayne, you know, a uh, Batman, loads of dough, intelligent, can fight. Look at James Bond, loads of dough, intelligent and can fight. There's a profile, you know, so. I wanted to learn to fight because I just believe that was part of becoming a success. So the fitness, having that, uh, knowing how to fight or certainly to get out of a, a scenario, but you have to fight your way out of it is quite important, I believe. But then also it's like the, the mentality, you know, the discipline, the hard work, um, being being hit in the face, but not losing your rag and remaining cool. And still being methodical as, as someone's attacking you, because that that mindset transfers over into the business world. I'll give you an example. Life is a bit like business a little bit like 12 rounds, okay? And typically, when you start stepping stuff up, you know, British level, European level, world title, unification fights, <laughs> excuse me. Um you're fighting harder opponents, okay? So in that 12-round fight, there might be three or four rounds that you're doing really well, but then suddenly the tide change, changes and you're on the back foot. And that's a bit like you're doing really well, really well, really, really well, then a new law legislation comes in, a recession comes in, yeah. COVID so... comes in, lockdowns come in and you're now being attacked. And your success is not really measured on when you're doing great things. It's when you're on the back foot. How can you pivot? How can you still win the rounds whilst being attacked? And then when the tide changes again and you're now on the front foot for the last part of the rounds, this is how you can start pushing on and winning that fight. So that's how I see boxing. Boxing is learning how to, when you're up, go for your target, and don't mess around, try and knock that person out. Yeah? Because why would you want to stay in that environment where you could possibly get hurt when you get the job done? Get the job done immediately. But if the chart tire changes and you're on the back foot, not only about survival, but it's also about thriving in that environment and then yeah. coming back out. And that's what that's what, what business is like. So it's 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 very, very much like that. Now if you look at an amateur, as in not an amateur boxer, but as in, I mean Someone goes into the box environment for the first time, or going to business for the first time. Lockdown comes. Oh my god! You know we're gonna, you know, every, we're gonna lose our business. Everything's gonna crumble. Taxes come in, legislation come in. They start scrambling around. Then they get into the ring for the first time. They're wingmilling. You know, they're they're panicking. They're getting angry. And this is because they they haven't learned the craft of becoming calm in this scenario yeah. And yeah, figuring, yeah. figuring it out. And boxing teaches you, you, you that very, very quickly. 14 wow, years man. of
0: age. That's amazing. My God. Yeah. Um, let's go into podcasting for a second, man. Um, I feel like, you know, um, you've had some amazing guests on, man. Um, I mean, you know, people that I look up to and, and kind of, you know, in, inspire me for sure, man. And um, I've listened to a few of the podcasts and, one of the things that I, I kind of comes across as really kind of cool is you, you often tie back each question or a lot of questions to what is the actual practical thing that you want to try and get out of that, right? Is that on purpose?
1: Um. So I'm in sales, right? And yeah. when you say something in sales, it's kind of irrelevant unless you tie it back to... Yeah to something, right? Yeah. So, I don't know, like, not that I sell property, but, you should buy this property. That means, that means nothing. You should buy this property because it's going to preserve the the wealth of your family and if you cash flow it right, you can make money every single month and if you compound that money, you can go and buy more property. And With more property, you get more income and that gives you the lifestyle that you really want. That's why you should be doing property. So, if you give a real meaning and, and, a, and an emotional logical connection to the, what you just said then then it has some substance but if you just just ask something or say something you might not get the kind of real meaning yeah. out of it yeah
0: I mean the, the, the reason I asked that is because you know um, I love how you've you've called it a study like it, it feels quite real to people like this is you trying to understand someone. Right. It's you, this is you try, it, it's it's clear to me like when I'm watching it this is you being so like genuine about you wanting to learn from this person like I've seen you with like your notebook and you're like making notes stuff it. it's, it's, it's just phenomenal and what what's clear is that you just want to just 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 learn from that person um where does that come from man like where does like the actual like the idea for the podcast the inspiration how you find your guests what kind of guests you go for, Just talk us through that, like kind of you know your your vision for it and how it all kind of
1: started. So, as I mentioned a little earlier, Rob Moore, who is first and foremost before his podcast, he's a property entrepreneur, got progressive property, and me and my, I'll give you a bit of a story. So. I got a friend of mine, I referenced quite a bit on my podcast before. He's not really I mean, he's on social media, but he's not, he doesn't do it for to build his company or build his brand. He is in his fifties and he's probably the most successful person I know. Back in 2016, when I asked him the question of, you know, his wealth, et cetera, he's worth half a billion. I think now he's gotta be he's gotta be in the months coming very, very close to that billionaire status. He's got the largest private care homes in the country. And at the time, when I was on his yacht, I was quizzing him. Because as a young entrepreneur, someone that was inspiring to achieve what he achieved. I mean, he was making back then two million pound disposable income. I'm not talking about turnover, I'm talking about disposable income a month. Jesus. So he he could spend half a million pounds a week and it doesn't affect his business. Like he he's literally Lamb, he's had so many Aventadors, Ferraris, Bentleys, uh, Rolls-Royces. He's got an SVJ at the moment. He's got uh, a Dawn. He's got Range Rovers, uh, Cullinan. I mean, he's got it all. He's got the largest house in Kent. Um, Yeah, he's got a helicopter. Um, I think at the time it was his second yacht that uh, he was on, like a 13 million euro yacht. So anyway, I'm on this shot in Port Benoose and it's just me and him and I'm quizzing him. And I think out of a little bit of like, not frustration, but almost inadvertently, he just kind of told me to shut the fuck up. But in a professional (laughs) way, he said, look, rather than ask me all these questions, because I was asking him all the time, probably was annoying him after a while. He said, just do what I do. I said, what's that? So buy property and cash flow it and get the most amount of cash flow out, out of it as you can, Where whether that's to do a care home, whether that's to do a, a rehab, whether that's to do a HMO, whether that's to whatever. I went, all right, cool. So then I pitched my missus at the time. She wasn't my wife at the time, but she might have been my fiance. I can't remember. And I said, look, you want kids – because it was more her idea to have kids than mine. And thankfully, I went along with it. It's one of the best things that have ever happened. But I'm going to be totally honest. Back then, I didn't really have a desire to get married. And I didn't have a desire to have kids. I just wanted to become very, very successful. And anyway, I said, look, if you want to have kids, it's no point of you being in this workplace where we're dictated, even though I work for myself, we're dictated by your work when we can go away. because." you know, if you want kids and we want to go away somewhere, well, we can't unless you clear all your work, which sounds ridiculous to me. Like we should be able to do what we want, when we want, how we want. Yeah. So you need, we need to pursue, a, you you need to pursue your own career. You know, you need to become an entrepreneur. And she really like, she, she very much been in a workplace all her life. And I convinced her to come into a property seminar with me. And, um, it was at Progressive Properties called Masopi, which sold for multiple streams of property income or something like that. And anyway, it was over three days. And by the end of it, she bought into it. And we bought a mentorship for a year. And we bought these other courses. And, and now we have a property company together. We've got two kids. She doesn't have to work for anybody. She works at the property company. And obviously, you know, I've got my own. I've got my own company, and it and it's and it's great. Don't get me wrong; there are stressful moments still. Not now; it's just not plain sailing. But she 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 spends all the time with with the with the children, etc. So anyway, I'm at the property event, and I've walked past Rob Moore, and I had a nice watch on at the time, uh, Protect Philippe. And he's turned around to me; he's an ILSA Protect Philippe fifty nine ninety. And I said, "Correct." So we started talking about watches um and we started talking about boxing and sport and he said Do you know what just getting to know you I think you'll be good at podcasting now me being a little bit dubious I'm thinking you're trying to sell me to get you on one of your courses and he <laughs> and he, and he was basically he was basically like look I'm not gonna pretend so yeah obviously you'll have to pay but I think you'll be really good at it. and I went so he offered me three packages uh, the whole entire room because at this point in the conversation and he went back on stage and started talking there was one package there was a second package and there was something called like a studio pro which you had to pay 10 grand for 10 grand there, there and then on the day it gives you a lifetime of doing podcasting with them so they do all the edits etc. but it gave me direct access to Rob Moore and he gave me his phone number. And I said to myself, forget the podcast. If I pay 10 grand to get a multi-millionaire's phone number, can I benefit from that? Can I benefit from his knowledge in the podcast world, in the property world, in business world? And could I actually tap into his network? And I concluded yes. If I put 10 grand and get his phone number. That's I'll crazy. It. You and put, you put 10 it. grand down straight away just to get wow. his phone number. And that's 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 what that's what done it for me, and I have. He's like, for example, this Thursday I'm going to interview Matt Latissier, former footballer, uh, at his home in Hampshire. That was because of Rob Moore.
0: That's amazing.
1: Now, if someone's going to watch, watch that podcast interview one day, so no, fucking else. Steve has just interviewed Matt Latissier, the former South Southampton football star. What does Steve do? Oh, he sells art? I'll go and meet him. I'll end up buying some up. I'll make money because I gave Rob Moore 10 grand for his phone number. That's how I think. I That's think amazing. Someone's going to watch that podcast. Maybe not because of me initially, because of Matt Sissier, the because they're a fan of his. Oh, who's this bloke? Steve Sully. Oh, he, he's got a gallery in Mayfair. Oh, let's go down there. End up buying, buying a piece of art for 100 grand. You That's know what? It's,
0: it's crazy how like... It went from the podcast being, and I'm sure it still is, a vehicle to obviously getting people to learn about your artwork and the stuff you do in the art space. But just idle, like the podcast just by itself, is is becoming more and more valuable to people who aren't even interested in art and may not even buy any art from you in the first place. Like, which I think is quite cool. Like, did you ever kind of foresee that happening?
1: Well, like I said, it's um, the, the modern day CV, right? Um, you know, they get to meet you. They get to know you without meeting you. And they get to see what your personality is all about. Um, and I, I think people start to begin to trust you, build up, you know, some kind of rapport and, and profile of, of who you are. And some of those people will convert into investors, buyers, of art, or they might become a business partner. In, I've had loads of people approach me and say, look, I've been watching your podcast. I've got a, an opportunity to run by you. Now, most of the time, nothing comes off the back end of it, but I understand it's a numbers game. You know, if I if I get presented 100 opportunities a year and if one of them pulls off and it becomes a su- success, it's worth doing a yeah. podcast. But also, just yeah. like you, I get inspired selfishly. Look, being real, right, if you turn around to me and said to me, hey, Steve, can I have a coffee with you and just pick your brain? Look, being me, I probably would do it eventually, but I would probably also put it off for as long as I could because yeah. I'm a busy yeah. guy. Yeah. But for the simple fact that you've actually asked me the same thing but to do it in a podcast environment, I feel more compelled to do it. And it's like me going to Charlie Mullins. Hey, Charlie Mullins, how did you sell Pimlico Plumbers and get £150 million out of the back end of it and build up your profile? who is this guy asking me all these kind of intrusive questions? But if I redo it by putting my podcast hat on and actually asking the same it's fucking so thing, asking so the same true. fucking thing, but I'm doing it as a podcaster, it doesn't become so weird now.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so, so I've actually got, I've met so many cool people because I was actually interested in their story and their journey and just fascinated on how they've become a success. But it's a bit weird if you just do it as a fanboy. Like if That's I turn so around and true. go, you know, That's I'm so obsessed true. with your journey, it's a bit weird. Kind of. But if I if I turn around and say, look, I'm a I'm a podcaster, and I, you know, here's my mission, this is what I want to do,
0: people resonate with that. Oh man, that is so true. Like that that was <laughs> because I like, selfishly, again, like when I look at the podcast, I started it because I wanted to speak to people and just learn from them personally. But you're right. You know you can't you can't just walk up to a random person and say, "How did you become successful?" Like they're like, "Who are you?" <laughs> like, "What are you trying to do?" But you yeah. but you put a podcast kind of thing on. It's like, "Oh, right, cool, yeah, of course I'll hop on and talk about my journey." But that brings me on to my next point, man. Because this is what this is what's amazing, right? And I want people to understand this. Um, it it not in a bad way, but it's amazing the depth. And the breadth of people that you bring on, like, it is phenomenal, man. I mean, you've had, you know, Lord Aline, you've had Mullins, you've had, you know, Tim Burton, like, all these people are just really kind of crazy, like, successful. Um, how do you actually get these people on, man? And how do you get them to open up so, so candidly? Because what's amazing is, like, they come on the podcast and they just let it all out. Like they'll talk about you know their divorce, or they'll talk about losing everything. They'll talk about going bankrupt. They'll talk about like stuff which is really really hard for people to kind of like just let it all out. How do you do it? And also, how do you get them to even come on the podcast in the first place, man? Well, I
1: gave you, I gave you, um, I gave you a, a tip or my advice getting people on. I don't using voice. Yeah. I don't, don't don't text them because I get in my DMs now quite a lot of texts, and I would say a lot of the time it's um, it's robots, yeah? It's some something some, some or a platform trying to sell me something. The thing I get the most is these fucking Forex traders, uh, Bitcoin <laughs> traders, <laughs> yeah. all the time saying, hey, do you want to make two and a half grand extra a week or something like that? Before, I used to just respond to them because I actually wanted to see what what they would say and then i i would always say at the end of it like i'm not interested and then they start arguing me like oh what you're not interested in making money it's just like shut up it's just it's just so rubbish and pants um now if i see them in my thing i just i just delete them even without even reading it but if a voice note came to me i'm going to listen to it and your 60 seconds or 59 seconds on that voice note is a chance for you That's your pitch, pitch, man. Now, basically, I'll give you my pitch, right? And this is something that um, I use time and time again. Hi, mate. I've been following Journey for some time. My name is Stephen. I'm 36 years of age. When I was at school, there was no such thing as podcasts or really social media. I was an absolute flop at school. I really was. I had no direction. And I think that a podcast would have given me some sort of shape and motivation, Thankfully now, I have found my feet. I do pretty well for myself. I've been running my podcast for four years, and my mission is to interview go-getters, entrepreneurs, athletes, people that are moving shakers, which you definitely tick those boxes to help inspire the younger demographic. So I would love, I would relish the opportunity for you to come on on the podcast. Let me know if it's something you're up for, and I'll be very humbled by the fact that you said yes. God bless, have a great week, and hope to speak to you soon. Now, when I say that, that that's my elevator pitch, right? Damn so man. so you got sixty seconds to get your point across. Bearing in mind, thankfully, if the if the voice note was longer, that would be a hindrance because what most people yeah. would do is start and on and on and on. And someone like for me, if I got a five minute voice note, I'd be like, fuck off! It's just way too long. Yeah. Thirty seconds to a minute, I'm like, okay, I can listen to that. Yeah, that person makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna get back to him. And look, it, it doesn't guarantee it. Sometimes I don't get response or sometimes I do get response to say, thanks, but look, I'm not really doing podcasts at the moment. Or sometimes I might get, look, I'll, I'll do it, but it's going to be in six months. Or I'll get people to say, I'll do it. And then the next job I've got is pinning them down. And I've i had people a year, well over a year, but then finally I'll get, I'll get them on and it worked out. Um, or I have people, yeah, I could do it. I could do it tomorrow. And then, and then they just jump on. So um, I voice note everybody. I make sure I've got my elevator pitch down to a T. And you've got to say it with conviction. And you've got to use your tonality. You've got to use passion. You've got to use excitement energy. But there's also got to be a real meaning to it. And mine, mine is genuine. Like, I was in school. Yeah. There was no such thing as podcast back then. I believe if I interview the likes of Charlie Mullins, uh, Lewis Burton, a friend of mine, uh, a pro boxer, Mick Condon, George Groves, or Lord O'Lean, I believe what those conversations, even segments of it, are going to ring home to an individual, a young female, young male, and go, I can do that. I I can pursue what that person's doing. And and that's that's the mission behind it. So
0: that's that's how I reach
1: out to them. So Lord Alim yeah. actually, specifically, uh, he actually put a uh, a message in his story saying, fuck it, I'm going to do three podcasts this week. Uh, who do you think I should do? And I saw it and I went, bang, straight on the voice note. And he immediately <laughs> came back to me, sent me his number. And, um, that is crazy. And because I had already interviewed a few people that he knew, like uh, Alfie Best Senior yeah. and also Alfie Best Junior, I know very well. He contacted them and said, "Oh, this guy Steve Sully's reached out to me." They said, "Yeah, he's top stuff. He's he's a friend of ours." And then he contacted me. and said, "Yeah, look, you're you you're good stuff. I'll, I'll do it." And that was it. So um, when I'm in the po- when I first started, I never used to take notes because I, I believe that as the conversation flows, I will be able to take seg- segments and lead on from what they said. Because being a salesperson, you have got to think on your feet. So I've yeah always done that but in more recent times i started to take more notes uh because um there was one particular podcast that i i've done i haven't released and i had to stage the conversation because it was quite a risky podcast for me to do hence why i've not released it yet um, and i don't know if i'm going to release it anytime soon i might wait for him uh, <laughs> it's going to sound bit crazy either to go to prison or probably die um then i then i will relate really, then i will and i had to stage it where i couldn't be a mate with him it had to be more me inter- interrogating him but actually yeah. off the back end of that conversation i felt you know what this style of interview is actually probably better for me so when you when you write stuff down and you go go through it you can just ask him the really hard questions i feel you know, about their divorce, about them going to jail or them saying this thing or them cheating on their wife or something like that. You know, it's a hard question, but those are the questions that usually scale up on your TikTok, scale up on your social media platforms, which lead people to the podcast podcast, or to the YouTube. You know, if you just ask easy questions
0: you might not actually get the best podcast interview that you're 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 after. It's so true because you've only got a limited time as well, right? You want you, you, you want to try and maximize it as much as possible and try and get as much of value from that as possible. So yeah, completely get that man. Um, and then in 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 terms of kind of like looking ahead for the podcast, right? Like um actually before going on to that, what who would you say has been like the two or three like, without putting everyone down, obviously, I'm sure everyone's been amazing on the podcast, but if you were to kind of highlight the one or two or three people who you've kind of enjoyed speaking to the most, like, who would it be, man?
1: Alfie Best Senior, definitely incredible. Anton Ferdinand, really, really, really good. Lord of the Lean was good, very good. Um Schmee has been good but I've not listened to the uh, back of that again who else who else who else who else I mean the one i done last night actually was very good Bun B rapper, yeah. yeah he obviously yeah. part of that tune Big Pimpin with Jay-Z yeah. he was very good very 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 knowledgeable like, about his mission in life um yeah. There's been others. There has been others. Um Aaron Chalmers was good, obviously from Geordie Shaw. Yeah. I, I would say, like, if, you know, Alfie Best still for me is one of, probably one of the best because I felt like he was so relatable. He's so rich, so wealthy, but everything he says, he makes it so simple. Yeah. And yeah. he's just
0: a really nice fella. So yeah, he, he's definitely one of my top ones. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Um, just, um, just, just finally, as we, um uh, as we come to the end, man, of, uh, what has been an amazing experience for me, Stephen, um, looking ahead in terms of the podcast, uh, like where do you kind of, where do you see it, man? What is it that you dream about when you, when you think about the podcast in say five, 10 years time, man?
1: Uh, look, I'm. Uh, I really enjoy doing it. So for me, it's not even work. It is work, but it's kind of not. It's like I I wake up, I wake up in the morning. I I, I sometimes feel a bit guilty because I feel like I should be thinking more about Woodbury House than I do my (laughs) podcast. But in actual fact, the podcast does help Woodbury House. So, because it builds up my own profile, people get to know me, then they get to know what I do. And then that ends up benefiting Woodbury. So, yeah, I always like kind of battle with myself with, with, those, with those thoughts, but no doubt I want to... I'm going to monetize the podcast. It's going to become a business. Um, not necessarily because I need the money, but I feel monetization validates that you're bringing value to that area. Hence why you're getting paid for it. Right? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. So, I'm not saying every podcast needs to monetize to be a good one and I'm not saying that Everybody needs to have a business strategy behind the podcast. But for me, I do. You know, for me, I want to know that, yeah, I'm getting paid for this because I'm good at yeah. it, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, it, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to go for the monetization. It's going to be yeah. one of the biggest podcasts in the world. And when I sell probably Woodbury House in many years' time for hundreds of millions and I've got a lot of money, I'm still going to be bringing in millions a year from my podcast, and I'm going to be able to travel the world and do my podcast for from whatever yacht I'm on, whatever private jet I'm on, whatever country I'm in, whatever sunny destination I'm with my family, and reaching great people, great audiences. They're getting a lot of inspiration, motivation, education from my podcast guests, and I'm going to have this very, very flexible lifestyle. That's exactly what's going to happen.
0: You've heard it. You've heard it all. Um, for those listening, you've heard it here on the uh, Behind the Wheel podcast. Honestly, um, Stephen, I can't. I can't explain to you how this has been a dream come true, man. Um, I honestly feel like you know. You do research on the person, right? And you'll know all about this. You do research on the person. You kind of start to build an ideas what this person is like, and you know. But ultimately, they're all just, they're all just people people you can kind of relate to and have a, and have a chat with and actually quite normal <laughs> in, in in many ways. And, and what you've done is actually proven to me that, you know what, um, behind all your success is actually just a crazy amount of hard work, a crazy amount of failure, a crazy amount of pain that you've gone through. But you know what? Uh, what you've shown is that through rising up over and over and over again yeah. and fighting through that pain, you can actually become... Whoever you want to be, and you are a true testament to that, man. So thank you so much for your time, valuable time, for sharing your uh heart-wrenching stories. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this goes to show that young people out there, or even those those a bit older as well, you know, um you can achieve anything you put your mind to. So thanks so much and appreciate it, man. No, no problem. Thanks for inviting me on. Um... Best of
1: luck with your podcast journey. Um, Anything I can do to help, let me know. And um, I really hope people got a lot of uh, value from this. And um, remember to be happy, never content. Cheers, man.